Hi, welcome to the Sweaty Palms podcast. Sweaty Palms is a Belgium-based music platform that urges their community to discover and share new music and ideas from which relationships can be built. In our podcast, we'd like to dive into the minds of people we think have a huge influence on their scenes and surroundings, ranging from artists and promoters to passionate diggers, road creatives, and your average Joes. I'm your host, Eunice, an Android-based music producer, graphic designer, and apparently a podcast host. Today we are joined by Nicolas Gasses, also known as Sans Soda, a Berlin-based, Belgian-raised DJ, producer, record label owner, dog whisperer, and a whole lot more. He's known for his productions released on We Play House, his DJ sets in places like Panorama Bar and Dimensions Festival, and his record shop in Berlin. He's been one of the most prolific Belgian DJs with international renown, and we're glad to talk to him. A man doing a lot of things with a clear love for the music that drives him. Welcome to another episode of the Sweaty Palms Podcast. It's our first one that we're not doing in Antwerp, which is uh, weird. Thank you very much for inviting us into your homes. Uh, today, we have Nicolas with us, uh, also known as Sansoda. Hi. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm very good. I'm happy that the sun is out. Uh, it's also good to be in Brussels again. It's been a, it's been a while for me. Same here. Yeah. Yeah. You don't live in Belgium anymore. Uh, no, I've been living in Berlin for, I think it will be 10 years now. Wow. But we are planning to come to Brussels um, relatively soon. What, is specific reason? or? Um, because, my, um, because my family uh, is living in Ghent. My girlfriend's family is living uh, in Luxembourg. So Brussels is kind of in between. We have lots of friends in Brussels. Two of my girlfriend's sister, sisters live in, Bru- in Brussels and... I have some friends in Brussels, and I just always like the, the vibe and the city. Maybe I'll, I'll maybe we'll look for something more around Brussels than inside of Brussels, but near Brussels in, anyway. Mm. Yeah, I think Brussels is indeed a good place to be central for a lot of uh, places, like you said, Luxembourg and Ghent. Um, could you tell us a bit about yourself for the people that may not know you? Uh, sure. Um, I'm Nicholas. I'm 34 years old. I've been into music, uh, I'd say, since I was 16, 17 years old. Um, and this in many shapes uh, and forms, um, be it as a DJ or a producer. Uh, now I run a small uh, reissue label. Uh, I've been throwing parties. Um, I tutored. I gave lessons uh, in, in Ableton and, and music lessons and production, which I really always really like to do. So yeah, all sorts of things. And and a dancer, like a, I just like to party and like to dance. Uh, that's also okay. an important aspect of the of the music uh, in the last yeah, 15 years. Yeah, it's funny. Like I think last time uh, the, the previous podcast we did with Driss from Casa Voyager went really hard into uh, people dancing at parties and and people that uh, are very limited in the way that they dance. Um, so it's I think it's very funny that you say that you're a. Well, player. I have to maybe I have to correct myself. It's not like I'm a like a professional dancer or anything. <laughs> I, I meant more like partying. Like I've I've been I spend a, a reasonable amount uh, of my life on the dance floor uh, so um, I wouldn't compare myself to really good dance or anything but <laughs> you know I, I, I meant like partying on, yeah, on, on yeah. the floor and, and I, yeah. everyone's a good dancer in their own <laughs> regards sure yeah yeah I think that's a that's a very important part I mean if you love music then you want to be in front of the DJ booth and mm-hmm. as well as behind it all mm-hmm. the time I guess mm-hmm. um, what what got you into making music 
Um, very specifically, what got me into making music was um, wanting uh, uh, to play a record that wasn't available at the time, <laughs> which was, um, was Mystery of Love, Mr. Fingers. Seventeen years ago, there was no discogs. There was maybe a bit of eBay, and, uh, and the record was really expensive. So I tried to find some software um, called Reason, um, and I just tried to recreate the song so that I could play it <laughs> at the next party. Basically, I was, I was. So that's, I mean, in, into production. That's that's what kind of got me into. I never really gave it much thought. You know, it was very naturally. Uh, and then, um, I mean, this is for production and for DJing. Um, that had also a, a specific entry, which was uh, local radio. I, I was doing a, um, a radio show, uh, a sports radio show on Saturday and Sunday, um, phoning up um, uh, local football teams to ask what the what the score was in, in the, at the time. Uh, and then on the side, we could play some music too. And they invited us to play um, one of their uh, parties in a huge uh, venue, which which is called uh, the Brilport in Danza. It was like mm -hmm. two, three thousand people. And we were just allowed to just bring some CDs and play, you know, Nirvana and Liquido and and, and Aretha Franklin and all these, you know, uh, we had we had these we had this collection of I don't know top top 500 like all time top 500 and that was our music and that's what we uh, what we played. So that's how we kind of got into DJing. This was together with a friend uh, of mine in Danza near Ghent. That's funny. I never would have figured that sports radio would get you into DJing parties like that through the r local radio. You know, there was yeah. a had a, they had a CD collection, they had a single collection, and I mean, just by seeing other people play, uh, host shows about music, uh, that kind of inspired us. And I think one of those first um, kind of DJ heroes that we had was DJ Tiesto, you know, and yeah. Traffic at the time. And yeah, that's I mean, yeah, it was a good it was a good way to to get acquainted with the. Uh, with the culture, because in those local radio, I mean, I think I think it, it was called Radio Tequila. I don't know when it started, but I figure uh, it must be like from the 80s, you know. So the whole infrastructure and the, the technical equipment, you know, the, 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 the huge mixing desk and the technic uh, turntables and everything. So I, I, I guess like local radio was a very good, very healthy way to step into the DJ culture. Yeah, it's interesting as well that now uh, with internet radio, a lot of that is coming back in different mm -hmm. ways. Uh, you see a lot of internet radio stations pop over all mm -hmm. over the world and uh, young DJs flocking there again to just do stuff, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. which I think is a very nice way of, of uh, looping it around mm -hmm. uh, and totally. seeing that happen in Belgium as well, but, but abroad uh, too. I think a lot of people that I meet um, have like a, a show at like an internet radio mm -hmm. station that they have and everyone's just inviting each other and, mm -hmm. and exchanging music. It's it's a very uh, funny way of seeing that. Um, my mom used to DJ on a radio station uh, when she was in her teens as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, when she saw that I was playing like internet radio, so she was like, oh, I used to do that as well, blah, blah. And it's just <laughs> like a very a fun way of reconnecting with people in that way. Yeah, but you say it right. It's like a circle. Come, uh, it's not, maybe not a circle. It's uh, I think it's a, a reaction to the, the, the kind of, you know, the... The community vibe that maybe we lost in nightlife at a certain point and i think the lack of you know the lack of conversation and the lack of community mm -hmm. um that we had i mean maybe the, the last 10 20 years i think the the reaction to that is is felt 
strongly in, in those uh, you know um, local radio stations everywhere that are much more than just a radio station they yeah. form entire communities and, and they, 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 they I mean they they lift up talent they they, 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 they discover they, they make big they they're much more than that than, than just a radio stations so yeah it's, it's interesting yeah. yeah the way it evolved feels more like um, radio stations now or online radio stations feel like what <laughs> blogs and early forums were internet wise mm -hmm. to me like the way you meet people there mm -hmm. but then physically in mm -hmm. a lot of ways not always but mostly mm -hmm. um it's a very interesting evolution like i feel that a lot of the stuff that happens on the internet now uh happens more in person as well mm -hmm. if you know what i mean uh in that way that an internet station that is on the internet uh, has a lot of like physical in real life components now mm -hmm. where you meet people and there's like yeah. community growing yeah. um whereas before like I'm from an age of where I met people on forums on the internet mm -hmm. uh, when I was very young. Now I have the same experience, but in real life again. Uh, but it's also linked to the internet in that way that you broadcast and share music and mm -hmm. and talk about stuff. Yeah. Um, which I think is like a very interesting evolution in, in uh, terms of building scenes again and having that community feel that indeed feels a bit uh, scattered. Mm -hmm. uh, with everyone, like I, I can only talk for what I see in Belgium, but mm -hmm. everyone doing their own thing on their own small island and mm -hmm. um, this is a nice way of bringing it back together I think absolutely and specifically Belgium is um, particularly fragile to be too scattered I mean always has been that's also kind of the re if, if Belgium wouldn't have been so scattered 10 years ago I wouldn't have left uh, I would I would have felt more uh, like staying and, and like like belonging somewhere you know you, you need those platforms you need those communities to you know to express yourself and to to find support to learn to communicate and if that's not there then yeah then you have no cohesion and no long-term plan i mean uh, yeah did you feel that that was way more available in berlin then not necessarily in berlin it was for sure um i mean um but that wasn't the reason why i went to berlin i mean i liked berlin and, and they were they, they, they had they had amazing clubs and, and amazing nightlife culture for sure but i i would have just as easily gone to London or Amsterdam or Paris uh, it was just just a financial decision at that time that you could get a room so cheap in Berlin that it just made a lot of sense to uh, to go there um, so but I mean it's more the other way around where I felt like I need like I couldn't do much in Belgium at that time I, I, I very quickly felt that um, just with my music or just with my uh, enthusiasm I wasn't gonna get anywhere in, in Belgium by staying mm. in Belgium uh, I needed to go elsewhere to basically, uh, I don't know, find some, you know, echoes and, and uh, some uh, some resonance. Yeah, yeah, I, I I can I feel you in that regard. Whereas with uh, the stuff that I used to make, uh, I spent a lot of time visiting friends in London that I met through the internet and, and going there and, and exchanging stuff with them. I never uh, at that point in time felt the need to move and and uh, be there all the time. But just having uh, another place to go to and and, and another. Um, more people that vibe the way mm -hmm. that you do mm -hmm. and then be able to like talk about it with mm -hmm. them was a good thing to have and mm -hmm. then to take that back to belgium mm -hmm. was an interesting way of of uh developing i mm -hmm. think sure did um did berlin then scratch that itch more that you didn't have in belgium where you felt that it would was very limiting mm -hmm. yeah it's true has it been very uh, I'm, uh, wait i mean more as in um has the these 10 years in berlin have they been as fruitful as you figured they would have been I don't think I've ever consciously thought about years <laughs> in Berlin being productive or not. Um, 
It was a very natural. It's not. It's not necessarily productive. I mean, more in a way of. Um, but fruitful for sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, absolutely. Like I, I, I loved my time in, in Berlin. Absolutely. I mean, I, it feels it feels like home now, for sure. Uh, I mean, it's very um, it's very unique. Uh, it's very unlike London, unlike Amsterdam, uh, unlike Brussels. It's very uh, it's, it's very unique. I can't really compare it to other other cities. Um, there's there's good things and bad things. I mean, I I, I do feel like um, it's double in the way that um, social cohesion is not as I mean intimate or something as as as, as I would as I would experience it experience it in Amsterdam or Brussels. You know, I, f I feel relatively distant from my peers and friends in in Berlin. I, I don't I can't really explain why that is, but. I feel like I would see my friends more and party more and feel more uh, part of a, of a social community uh, in, in, in Brussels or Amsterdam rather than, 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 than Berlin. Uh, and I'm not speaking about a, you know, more like a artistic or, or cultural uh, platform, but socially, mm -hmm. the, the, the city does feel a little bit cold. Uh, sometimes, um, sometimes also literally, you know, in, in, in winter, you do notice people kind of hibernating and, and um, I don't know, I think I just think it's it, it has its ups and downs in, in, in Berlin, which is very, uh, it's, it's a nice evolution too to have those, you know, like a all out moments in the summer where it's like a party every day and, and everybody's outside and then, you know, people kind of are more reserved in winter and, and, and get more productive and get and have more alone time. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I'm curious to see how that is gonna change when we move to Belgium again. And if if it's just my imagination and uh, if, if, or I, I feel Brussels will be warmer in that sense and more uh, connected in, in, in that sense. Uh, there's a lot of coming and going also in Berlin of people going in and out. And I think that also plays a big role in what I've just described is that you do feel kind of a hedonism, you know, like people just coming into Berlin when they need it and leaving Berlin when they had enough kind mm. of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. If it, my experience with Berlin in that regard is that it always feels like a, uh, like a transit stop where you go mm -hmm. and you enjoy a lot of time and you mm -hmm. discover a lot of music, people, uh, art, like different things that, uh, really inspire you. Mm -hmm. And when you soaked it all up, that's when you go and take it and do stuff with it sure, yeah. where you were before. Yeah. Uh, that's how a lot of people like describe it to me. But maybe that's true for different cities too. It's just that I've just done Berlin and I don't know if it's that true. You know, I, I, let's have another conversation in five years. And if then I, I'm saying, okay, this, it's time to leave Brussels and Belgium <laughs> and go elsewhere, then yeah, then, then we know it's not just Berlin. No, true. I think it really depends on specific things, like not even just the city, but also I think the point in time where you are at in your life mm -hmm. also has a, lot, a big role to play with totally, that. I think yeah. if you're... 20 in berlin mm -hmm. you will have a very different time than if you're 30 in berlin absolutely yeah totally yeah which I th is the same for any city i feel i think um, mm -hmm. i mean living in antwerp my entire life is very different now at 27 than mm -hmm. it was at 19. Mm -hmm. uh, like the the city changes a lot you see a lot of people come and go and and you also as a person see differently in the way that uh you even like go to clubs or or the way you want to hear music or mm -hmm. the way you want to play music mm -hmm. um and if the city changes in a different way that mm -hmm. doesn't match then sure it might not be a match in the long term mm -hmm. yeah you're changing and the city's changing at the same time it's uh, yeah exactly but you in berlin you have your record shop and and stuff how will that work uh, if you 
Um, I'm, I'll, I don't know if that's an expression in, uh, in English, probably not, but I, I'm still going to say it. I'll, I'll have one leg in, in, in Berlin still. <laughs> uh, I, I just like the, the, the Dutch expression. So I'll, I'll have my base in, um, in Berlin, you know, I have, have, have good friends there. I have a good, I mean, I love my neighborhood and, 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 and I love my life. So I just, I, I'm not going to go cold Turkey and just move everything. I mean, I, I mean, who knows, but I, my, my intention is to, to, to still go there uh, often mm. um, we, we did start a little record shop two years ago uh, which we didn't get to open uh, many times due to corona so um, but I, 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 I it's it's a healthy little um, uh, organically growing spot that I want to keep nurturing uh, it works well uh, I do it together with two good friends of mine uh, who are Gretz Tristan and uh, Alex Alex from Tokyo um, so let's see if we can uh, keep that going. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah, I think it will also be interesting doing that abroad and then going back and forth. I think it'll probably influence what you do with the store in some way as well by not being there all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially if there's three of you involved and, and two of them are in Berlin and mm-hmm. you're not always there. I mm-hmm. think yeah, it will be interesting to see how that grows. I think absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering the way that, because uh, aside from you're a very busy person, from what I, from what I gather, uh, DJing. I mean, what's producing. what's busy? Uh, I, I wouldn't call myself very busy. No. A very uh, a person with a lot of broad interests. Yeah, that's be, true. Yeah, <laughs> that might be a, a better way of putting it. Uh, so you produce music, you DJ, you have the record store, you uh, rip vinyls. Yeah, yeah, that was you, a whole project I started during uh, Corona too. Yeah, and you have a reissue label. Yeah. Yeah, how do all these things like fit and I, together? I became a dog trainer. A dog trainer. Yeah, in during Corona too. Yeah, well, just to add on the. I'm I'm very <laughs> skip the music for a little I'm bit. A, Talk about that. <laughs> since you were so informed on on the on the on the Instagram like link tree, there's also a link to a um, to a little Facebook uh, page about about dog uh, sitting and dog training, uh, and 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 I've actually I've I've, I've had quite a few puppies. Uh, wander around in the record shop for example so we try to we try to mix it up there yeah wow. i mean i'll start with the with the um, with the ripping thing um that's just something i always had in mind because i uh, at, at a certain point i was playing a lot of digital music and i was getting a bit frustrated with it not um feeling right when i was playing it and and, and i felt like i was not as good of a dj uh, digitally as i was uh, playing records so then I just tried to really uh, perfection the quality of the music that I was uh, recording to play out afterwards. Um, I have to be honest, though, that I kind of stopped playing digital almost entirely now. Uh, but that doesn't change the fact that I do still care a lot about, um, you know, how the way the way to to to, you know, um, to digitize a record for, forever in, in, in the best possible way. And uh, it's just a reality that a lot of DJs are traveling a lot and, and, and don't want to be carrying around two bags of records all the time. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, 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 more specifically, I noticed that a lot of DJs were playing very poorly ripped final records and you could hear it very, uh, I mean, I could hear it so well on, on, on many sound systems that, I mean, especially if you know the original record and then you hear the, the poorly ripped version, yeah. it, it's just, yeah, you, f- you feel like there's much more to the song than, than you're hearing right now. So, um, so I just try to, um, experiment a little bit and I have a nice a little washing station setup where I wash the records with um, with a cleaning liquid and it, it um, it's called an ultrasonic cleaning uh, device where the, the, the water vibrates uh, at like 60 70 Hertz 
um, the, this causes like bubbles, uh, air bubbles to, to, to uh, coagulate and then shoot into the grooves and clean deeply in, in, the, in the grooves. So you get a super clean record out of it. Uh, and then I try to record it as, as well as I can and, 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 and it, um, it has very good results. And then I did it kind of informally uh, just for friends and friends of friends and it, it went super well. Like people were just always showing up with records. And so I just thought, okay, why not uh, kind of professionalize this? And, and, and this is going well. I, I barely did any promo or, or, you know, interviews or articles about it. And, and I, get, I get calls regularly of people, hey, I'm coming with 200 records, just uh, rip them as good as you can. And I mean, and I get it, you know, because I was in that place at some point and it, it, it's so time in, time sensitive, uh, no, time intensive. It, it costs a lot of time to do it well. You know, obviously the whole the whole record takes uh, often like 15, 20 minutes, just yeah. play time, you know, and then you need to flip the record, you need to clean it afterwards, et cetera, et cetera. So sure I do get it that you. people find it worthwhile, worth their while to to drop them and do, do the whole batch in once. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm, I'm very curious to see now that things are picking up after Corona, if you know, even more DJs are going to show up to uh, to rip their collection, I'm curious about it. I mean, if more people will have to travel again, then mm-hmm. probably. I mean, uh, I'm very curious. Yeah, I mean, it was going so well already during Corona, where almost no one was playing, and 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 I mean, people wouldn't want to spend money either on on, on digitizing records, you know, they have no income at the time. Mm-hmm. So I'm very curious to see what uh, if if people are going to find their way. Um, to us uh, quicker now. I mean, I'm pretty sure that at least the people that were there during Corona will probably come back if they find new records that they want to digitize. Totally, yeah, no, all the people that have come to me have come back afterwards. So that means that, I mean, it was useful for them and they were happy with, with what they got and that it, they found it worth it, you know. Uh, so that I'm, I'm happy with that and I'm yeah, just curious to see uh, if that's going to grow or not. While, while digitizing, have you had like uh, a record given to you that you were like, ah, oh, I wish I had this. Mm, I mean, I think two times. Yeah, two times I bought the record after hearing it from somebody, somebody else bringing it in to, <laughs> to record it. You know, I, I give a document saying that uh, like a non-disclosure type of document where I'm saying this this music is just going to be stored on a hard drive and it's never. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to take that music or, or give it again or, no, no, no. or send it around, of course. So, uh, but two times it did happen that I was amazed by a record and I bought it. Uh, Based on what people were bringing in. Yeah. Which ones I'm very curious to hear. One, no, I, I think I know the two. No, one, I'm not going to remember the name. It's like a right. kind of a wavy, electronic wavy 80s track. And the other one was uh, Orlando Vaughn that I hadn't heard before. I'm, I'm a big fan of Orlando Vaughn, but he has such a big discography that, yeah, I mean, it's hard to have heard every track of his. Um, it's called Systematic Input, I think. Yeah, like a Dutch uh, 90s. Rave uh, house, typical Orlando Vaughn track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I absolutely love. Yeah, I bought it when I when I when I ripped it. <laughs> Sweet. I mean, I, I think that must be the one of the nicest things about doing that as well as like discovering a lot of music as well that you hear. Maybe it's the nicest thing, and at the same time, <laughs> sometimes you don't want to hear the music that they they ring to. Rec- I mean, it's it's a per- very personal thing. But yeah, yeah. for me, it's it's. I mean, I I enjoy it. I mean, uh, we do it at the record shop, you know. And there's, as I said, it's like a mixture of activities. So. While the record is being ripped, you know, there's records to be prized or there's music to listen to. There's stuff to do, you know, there's dogs a, to be let there's out. Dogs c- t- uh, coming in, you know, there's a there's a lot of other stuff to do while recording. So I, I, was that was, I, that, was that like a pleasant, a, uh, pleasant activity? Was that a super specific thing that you wanted to do the dogs thing or because it feels so super random <laughs> in the list of things that we I, mentioned. I mean, for me, it didn't feel random at all. I was I was always passionate. I mean, not always like the last three, four years, I've been very passionate about 
dog, uh, develop, I mean, dog training, dog psychology, more specifically, beha behavior, behaviorism. Um, and I had, I had, um, I was lucky enough to have a friend in Berlin who, who's, it was his job to, to take care of dogs. And, uh, he shifted his, uh, his job and he had a, he had a group of clients that he was working with and he was kind enough to, um, to, to ask me to help him, uh, which I uh, gladly uh, did. And I just studied quite a bit and did some online courses. I didn't study it officially, like, because uh, that's quite expensive and, and, and takes, takes a while. Um, but, um, I mean, it was a super, super fun experience. It was, f I mean, apart from having a baby, like I mentioned earlier, uh, it was my best experience doing that. The whole COVID uh, period, yeah, and going really, really deep into the dog brain and and helping people with it because it, it was, uh, I, I didn't know it at the time, but um, dogs in big cities, especially cities like Berlin, with all the movement and the smells and the traffic and the different environments and the the, the busyness, um, the, the dogs' mental health is is really poor, really mm. poor. There's there's big issues and there's going to be big issues after corona too for other reasons too but i didn't know that there was such a need for uh, people uh with, with who, who were experiencing issues with their dog you know aggression anxiety uh there was i mean i'm, I'm still getting every week i'm still getting messages hey uh, are you still into the dog thing we need help uh from people that i've never heard before like uh, so so it's it's it was very clear that there was a big need for it and i'm, I'm happy that i was able to help some people now i don't have too much time for it anymore but mm -hmm the the more the more extreme cases i still i still do and i i still try to do like some online courses or i do one or two at yeah. people's houses but uh, yeah but yeah it, it, i i just found out that in berlin there was a big need for 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 someone to help people with their dog it's very interesting in the way that i i mean i knew that dogs in big cities had issues uh in terms of anxiety i, I this is a thing i hear a lot but i didn't know it, it went that deep um and i think it's i also, the way that you you're able to combine it, especially in like a, a period of lockdown, mm -hmm. um, with your shot, with like having the space, that's a, a very nice way of doing it. I think. Yeah, it was it was all natural. It was didn't I? I didn't really think about it too much. It's just there was an opportunity, and I I was really interested in it, and I'm I'm super happy that I I went pretty deep in it, you know, uh, scientifically, and, and read a lot, and and because I didn't want to when I when I wanted to do it, I, I didn't want to. Um, let people down you know when people came to me with a dog who who bit people i, I wanted to be the right person to, to give them the advice you know i, I wouldn't i wouldn't want to risk giving poor advice and and, and these are yeah. serious issues sometimes and and to address your your remark um the fact that we are not aware uh, that there is a big issue is because they can't tell us but um i'm, I'm telling you on a weekly basis i'm getting messages and, and phone calls um, of stories where I understand and I feel immediately that the dog is in is in a terrible state. Uh, you know, dogs that are afraid to go out of the out of the door, uh, that are basically being forced every day to face their biggest biggest fear, and they're forced to do this every day, which makes the fear worse and worse and worse. It would be similar to comp I mean, if if you would meet someone who has a who has anxiety attacks like four or five times a day and and, and can't sleep because of it and can't eat because of it. I mean, you would you would you would send them immediately to a doctor. You would send them to a, to a, to the hospital right away to get help. You know, but dogs can't communicate, so these dogs go on. Uh, they they live day by day, and and nobody's hearing them. And these are the stories that I I mean that I hear very very regularly. So there's a, yeah. It's very excruciating. <laughs> I got very silent uh, hearing all that. Jesus. Uh, 
there's going to be a revolution though like a uh, dark yeah. dark psychology changed a lot like uh, 15 20 years ago and there's a whole shift in in uh, in philosophy on 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 how to work with dogs uh, which is now very slowly but surely dissipating you know like it's 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 um it's finding its way uh, to the to the owners too slowly but it's going to get there and you'll see in like 5 or 10 years there'll be a whole different way of of um of looking at uh, what it is to have a dog as a pet mm. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people, especially during uh, the last year, took dogs in because in, they were home a lot and then not anymore and put them back in the kennel and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so if you have a dog and you think it's it has anxiety, please look into it because it totally, may. Yeah. No, um, and, and this is, I don't know if you noticed, but I mentioned this before that because of Corona, there's going to be a big issue. Uh, in, in, I mean, people were at home they even if they even if they had a dog from before uh, or, or they just got a dog in a, a dog is used to as being in company all the time you know uh, evolutionary that mm. a dog is not alone is always in, in a pack is always surrounded you know so all these people working at home and being with their uh, pets all the time and and now all of a sudden they can go work outside again these dogs have a huge separation anxiety i'm just yeah. i mean we are already seeing this uh, very intensely now so i mean yeah, the the COVID is gonna have a have big repercussions on the on the dog's uh, mental health also. Learning so much about <laughs> dogs, I did not expect this today. This is supposed to be about music. No, it's <laughs> not supposed to be about music. I mean, uh, animals are important too, and every every person has uh, like every episode that we do. I learn a lot about things that I didn't figure I would learn, which is nice. Which is yeah. why we do this. But you said uh, the right thing. Uh, if people are worried, if people you know, if, if you have to, if, if you notice your dog is shaking, is, is showing signs of anxiety, don't wait and get it fixed right away because you're making him face his biggest fear every day, which is it's absolute torture, absolutely tor uh, torture. Like uh, dogs hiding under under the table, highly, highly, it, it's torture. Like if you would compare it in, in, in human feelings and words, we would be completely, uh, you know, uh, disgusted uh, with, mm. with, uh, with uh, how, how long we let it go on sometimes. Yeah, Jeez, and especially dog years are so... Also long, short, short and long, uh, short. I mean, well, <laughs> depends on how you look at <laughs> it. Depends on how you look at it. Um, really, a man of, of many talents. Very dedicated to. Well, let's to say interests. You know. Interest, <laughs> interest, talent, interest. Same thing. <laughs> fed by the same thing. The, yeah. the fact that you want to do something. Mm -hmm. um, what I'm very interested about, especially because we had a conversation with um, a different reissue label a while back, is uh, what made you want to reissue things. I feel that's a it's a very specific part of music and a very needed a part of music to to classify and make sure that the legacy of certain songs or, or, mm -hmm. or records or artists lives on. Um, so I'm very curious as to what made you interested in doing that multiple reasons and uh, the main one being um the, the that i found reissues at the time uh, still now sometimes just being of extremely poor quality i mean honestly uh, now it's getting better and better but like five to ten years ago uh, which was a time that i you know i was still learning a lot about music and i, I wanted to purchase a lot of music to be able to play it and so many times I was so uh, disappointed in the quality of reissues. I mean, I, I, honestly, I, I have this shop in 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 in, um, in Berlin where I, where I always used to buy my records, which is called uh, Hip Hop Vinyl (HHV). And I, I love the shop because you can order in advance, and then you can go there, you can listen to the records, and you can just buy the ones that you want. You know, but you can order in advance, and then if you don't want it, you can leave it there. 
And if I would order 10 reissues, I would only take one or two just based on the fact that the others would have siblings or, 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 or just the, the, the quality of the master would be terrible. Um, so that was kind of my first motivation to when I was finding obscure and really good music. It's like, okay, you know, if, if, if I'm just before the others right now and I do it properly, then, you know, the record is out there in, 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 in full proper quality and people will be able to enjoy it for a much longer time because the the opposite is very true the opposite is is where um, uh, record labels are not putting enough money and, and attention and investment into the quality a poor uh, reissue is out and then nobody's going to take the the initiative for maybe 10 15 years after to do it properly so you really burn your time that way um, so i guess that was kind of my that was kind of my first goal is to bring back these records and have it done in as good as quality as, as as possible, just out of respect for the for the for the music, you know, and 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 of course, you know, secondary, uh, but but also equally important is, is just tracks that I loved, tracks that I was playing all the time, tracks that I wanna that I wanna share, uh, and if it's sharing through playing them in every set or sharing them on the radio or sharing them by making them available uh, on vinyl or on Spotify, it's all it's all the same in the end. Mm. Um, and then all another element is also kind of out of respect for the for the artists to just also, you know, uh, um, in, in contrary to some labels that I've, you know, that sometimes frustrated me just, you know, just licensing the record and, and putting it out, putting their own, their own, uh, you know, um, uh, record label logo, yeah, huge on the cover uh, with what with artists in small letters, you know, and maybe the, the 20, 30 musicians that worked on the record are not even mentioned on the record, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? So that's, this is also uh, a thing that I find important is just to, to give credit to, to those to those people who basically uh, you know had the creativity and had the talent to to write that music yeah i mean i fully agree i think it's a very important way to um especially as like a lot what's being reissued um is stuff that hasn't never or not really reached the bigger audience and and now is finally getting the uh the time to do so mm -hmm. um was there a specific record or artist that you that made you want to do a reissue i guess the first one uh, and it's funny that uh, i have to mention this one because it just um, it just was uh, used for um, for a big commercial in uh, in the uk okay. for the for, for one of the uh, train companies they they uh, they they are using the the first reissue that i did which is uh, badala zamana from zora mm -hmm. which is recorded in 1979 so yeah Say 40 more than 40 years ago. Actually, just today I sent a PDF document with um, print screens of. YouTube comments and emails um, that we received uh, about this song being an amazing song and you know there, there were quotes like you know uh, this song was so necessary in these uh, in these in these uh, difficult times I, it made my day you know it lifted me up etc and I just sent this PDF to to the to the to the author to the to the arranger of the mm -hmm. song and the singer you know who who who, who wrote that song signed off their rights and never got one 
euro for it or one French franc, I would say, uh, in, in, in the 70s and 80s. So they were totally you know, ripped off, basically. The, the song wasn't properly um, marketed or, or was poorly, you know... Uh, distributed and they didn't they never saw anything about it so so f for me to be able i mean it's this is a i mean this is a gift for me to, to be able to give these people the satisfaction of knowing that people around the world are listening to the song that they recorded in in, in the 70s they are honestly the, the 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 phone calls i have sometimes with these artists i mean you you feel so it's so important for them to, mm -hmm. to get this kind of recognition i wouldn't say you change their lives but as an artist it, it gives them so much fulfillment uh, so much uh, i mean and i mean yeah why wouldn't you want to be able to do to 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 bring those uh, you know you, it's nice to give good news you know so yeah so so anyway this is it's it's funny that we come back to the first reissue because it's r randomly uh, now again and on, on it's it's on it's in UK, on uk television and you know it's bringing uh, it's getting played in spotify it was in the top 100 uk single chart you know wow. so for them for for, the, for for this producer in paris and the singer from algeria this is uh, it's it's amazing to be able to uh, to give them that recognition yeah yeah i think that's very beautiful especially given that um that they're still alive to to mm -hmm. see it happen uh, a lot of people that do reissues are mm -hmm. people that aren't around anymore mm -hmm. uh, is that also specifically something that you look for that the people that made it are still alive and that you can uh help them directly or uh, um, i mean i've had both uh, i work both with with the artists that are still alive and with their um how do you say in English? Their her her inheritance, uh, uh, you know, their next uh, of kin. Yeah, exactly. Um, so no, but I, I I don't look specifically for mm. for for how old the record is. I mean, I'm, I'm reissuing a, a house record from three four years ago that only was released uh, digitally, just to present it on a vinyl format yeah. too. You know, so it, you know, it's not a prerequisite, but uh, oh. but it's um, it's been it's been interesting dealing with all sorts of people all around the, uh, the globe. You know. Uh, Worked with people in in, in, in yeah in Australia in in, in, in the UK France in in, in the US and um, yeah talking to these people gives you a lot of information of how things were going back then in the 70s and the 80s and, and often how poorly they were you know um, legally uh, treated uh, I'd say or, or ripped off yeah <laughs> I mean the, the 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 biggest part of the artists that I worked with were um, you know didn't have didn't have uh, didn't didn't really know what they were doing by signing off uh, rights and 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 were were poorly poorly um, remunerated for for their work shame but it still happens so much oh, like totally, to yeah. this day and and it's it's weird how that uh, that trend keeps being set forward and even worse and worse uh, mm -hmm. with the more options that there are to release music mm -hmm. the, the more artists in in certain positions get uh yeah, but it's so complicated you cannot yeah. blame them yeah. no i mean the last thing an artist should be worrying about is 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 how 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 music law is in in every single country. It's it's so complex. I mean, I'm I'm learning every day. Uh, I'm I'm amazed every day with 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 laws and with uh, how things work uh, digitally. It's 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 a it's a crazy world uh, legally. <laughs> yeah, I remember uh, at some point a few years ago, I was uh, working with a with a with a, with a rapper. Um, like a, he was 16 years old or something, uh, and he asked me to help produce some stuff for his EP. And I, um, I sat down and we made some songs and like I involved other people. And he was working with someone at the time and they sent us a contract and I, and I was like, yo, you have no rights in the, like this contract is like, mm -hmm. all of it is for them. Mm -hmm. I was like, that's not right. He's like, oh no, I, 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 like, no, you have no rights. Mm -hmm. it's, 
get out of this mm-hmm. right now. And I, I didn't understand that he big contract, a lot of like legal jargon, mm-hmm. 16-year-old kid. Mm-hmm. It was just so crazy to me to see people still do that because it's been going on for so long mm-hmm. and then prey on yeah, kids or an unknowing artists that mm-hmm. make cool stuff and just be like, oh, I'll take it, it's mine. Yeah. Uh, Very weird. I mean, yeah, if you put, you know, young creative people uh, in front of uh, experienced uh, marketing people, then uh, I guess this is the result, you know, abuse. Yeah, I guess so. So those people that you reassured are then very happy that they finally see it be like the product that they made years ago or a few years ago at that point be um, presented to the world in a mm-hmm. fair way, in a, in a yeah, nice way. Y- usually, yes. And, and, and just the fact that people are talking about their music and are listening to it. And, and you know, if I, I try to send them little videos of people playing their music out in front of a young crowd and they're amazed, you know, 20 years later, there's young people dancing to my music. It's that's I think that's the, yeah, m- much more even than the money or 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 the or the, or the you know, design or package. But this is the biggest gift that you can that you can give them is this recognition. That I mean, that's all. Uh, I, I guess an, an artist or, or somebody a creator wants is that their work is appreciated and and, and used in, in in the right way. Yeah, especially if it then finally reaches a crowd that you would want to see or or entirely new crowd, like as you said, mm-hmm. a, a young crowd that mm-hmm. you wouldn't expect to uh like as i think as an artist from the 70s you wouldn't expect a crowd that's 17 18 to mm-hmm. like your song that yeah, you isn't that beautiful uh, like one of the quotes in the in, on the pdf was uh that, uh, that yeah i don't know somebody saying that hey this is a song from the 70s but it it sounds like it's a song from today and uh, it's completely modern and timeless uh i mean that's uh, such a such a nice compliment for the arranger and the, and the producer and the, and the singer it's probably the nicest compliment you can get yeah. that you made something that is timeless to a lot of exactly, people exactly yeah so yeah super nice yeah I mean imagine it still being played in, in 20 years or 50 years or 100 years it's hard to imagine no? yeah I mean in a way it is like especially with how fast everything goes now mm-hmm. and in the way music gets consumed but looking back in history it, it's always been like that with a lot of music mm-hmm. but i think for us now it just doesn't seem like it because music gets forgotten so fast mm-hmm. like every week there's so much coming out and then you're already forgetting or or mm-hmm. you're like oh yeah this, that record also came out like four months ago but you like mm-hmm. it seems so long ago because everything goes so fast which is then even more nicer when music that got lost 40 years ago pops up now and then absolutely lives, yeah. lives a nice second life yeah Absolutely. Yeah. Some, it's it's funny because you just literally quoted someone. Uh, one of the comments was <laughs> was exactly this. Like, can I can I look it up? Yeah, sure. If you if you give me thirty seconds. Uh, maybe it was Michael. No, <laughs> definitely wasn't. But <laughs> maybe. So somebody said. Gorgeous. So this is a YouTube comment. Gorgeous. I'm a '90s old school boy, plus a lot more, and this has me hauled out of my armchair, and. Oh wait, I'm I'm quoting the wrong quote. <laughs> well, it's also a good quote. But, uh, it's also well, a actually, good no, quote. I'm, I'm, it's it's it, it is the wrong. But I'll just say that the last sentence. Said, it gives me hope that in a world as dumb as it is, pure brilliance like this can still shine through. Wow, that's for for a '90s old school boy. This is a pretty pretty good quote. No, it's a pretty it gives me hope that in a world as dumb as it is, pure brilliance like this can still shine through. That's kind of what you said, right? In a in a way, yeah, in a way that's. Very similar, more narrow and, and easier explained <laughs> yeah. what I was doing. Thank you, uh, YouTube commentator. Um, we've not really talked about your own music yet, mm. I feel, because um, you're also a producer. And mm-hmm. uh, as a producer myself, I'm very interested in hearing 
what you what you're mm. what you do and why you feel that why you produce why you like to produce like you, you, you told me earlier that um the reason why is because you heard a song that mm -hmm. wasn't available and you wanted to uh you wanted to have it so mm -hmm. you, you try to make made it um is it also the reason why you kept making music did you just enjoy it a lot or um that's a good question um to be honest my my production side is really not one that i'm very um particularly proud or happy with you know it's, it's i i love being in the studio i love jamming but the music that i put out is is completely not a good reflection of who i am as a, as an artist or as a as a as just a person who who, who enjoys music i feel mm. i mean i i i I put out music 10 years ago. Uh, I, I think my last release was maybe six, seven, five, six, seven years ago, something like this. Um, and and that was just kind of a ref kind of my interpretation of the the stuff that I was into, um, uh, like like melodic, soulful, Detroit influenced house. I would say. not really it was so unconscious in, in a way I mean maybe that's also a good thing sometimes but I, I, I wasn't giving it any thought or any work I'm, I'm, I'm not a worker in the studio you know I, uh, when I listen to my songs now I think they're horribly produced <laughs> it's just a disgrace to be honest um, having said that I, I, I mean I still the, the, my the, the fun thing for me to listen back to those things are those those memories of having fun in the studio you know uh, mm -hmm. Uh, funny enough, the the song that did that that was that was most successful, it's you, you know, the, the a cappella mm -hmm. song. It's still the one that I <laughs> that I love most and that I enjoy most because it, I I remember that moment in Berlin where I was just I think I was with two or three friends in, in in the room and just trying some stuff out and it just clicked and we just had fun and that's that that that's that for me that that record and and, and not more. today I mean I've been in the studio non-stop for for the last years never really put out anything or, or finished anything but now I feel like I do have some interesting music to put out and to share um, and countless people have uh, pestered me about <laughs> releasing stuff uh, you know uh, my agent and and and, and friends and 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 my, uh, all sorts of people have told me oh, you have to release music you have to put out music and that just works uh, that just has the opposite effect on me yeah. um, and now at this point I'm still not convinced that I should be putting out music and this is more 
linked to the fact that I I'm super selective about what I like and I just don't my rule is if I if I would play it every set if if if, if I made a, a track of mine that I would play every set then I will put it out because then then it means that it kind of um you know um succeeded in the test uh, and I haven't reached that point I, I just haven't made a song yet that I'm enthusiastic enough about um, to to play every set, and I've made other songs that people are, oh, wow, you have to release this, and this is good, you know, this is good enough, and you, you should release it. But I'm I'm not there yet. Um, mm-hmm. And during Corona, um, I had the idea all of a sudden to because um, I was jamming in the studio like I always do, and and I just want to basically um, take this music and skip the step of uh, finishing it and and producing it. Um, so what was I saying? I oh, yeah, that um that I wanted to skip the step of producing it and making it into a song and releasing it and, 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 and you know, I want to skip that step and I just want to basically bring the song as a jam. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if what I'm saying now is um, is stupid. Uh, it's an idea that I have and, I, and, and I'll, I'll see in a year or two if it was a good idea for me to do it this way or not. Mm-hmm. But the, the feeling I have right now is to just... Uh, I, I was having so much fun in, in, in the studio with my with my hardware I really got deep in the electron gear um, it's not so much like I only work with three four um, uh, you know uh, sound sources but it's enough and I basically my intention is to skip the step of of, of uh, finishing all the re- all the tracks as if they needed to be on, on a record or, or to be put out and just to bring them live mm. every time that's kind of my the ID that I had in my in my head now and I had a lot of fun with it so far um, and I'm really excited and positive about it. Uh, uh, and I hope within a few months that I'll be that I'll be starting to do this live show. So basically, that'll be like a kind of the end result of jamming and jamming away in the studio for for a lot of years without without um, putting something out. Yeah. And and yeah, I'm, my hope is that this hour or hour and a half of music that I bring. Is a, is a, is a, is a you know a proper reflection of anything that I've been doing in the, in the studio the last uh, the last years. I think I, I think what you just said isn't stupid at all. Uh, <laughs> in terms of that, it is something that I empathize with on different levels. Um, so if I look back at my catalog and my old project, uh, I'm like, oh, why did I put all of this out? But then I started my new project last year during lockdown. I released my album, and I'm still very happy with it. Um, and if I play now, like I've been writing a lot of music too, and the demos that I have, me and my band, because I, I play with a band now, we just play the demos live, and they're not finished, mm-hmm. and they're very raw, and because they're not set in stone, they change a lot while playing them, but that mm-hmm. influences me a lot in the way that how I want to finish the project, because I felt like I, I had like a five rough demos, and we're playing them in shows, and then because I do something different when I play or, or my drummer does something different, it changes the way that song feels. Mm-hmm. And then going back to the studio, I'm mm-hmm. like, that's the way it should be because that's mm-hmm. how it work, works live. So I don't think that's stupid at all. I mm-hmm. think that's a very good way uh, and having the freedom to to take what you have and, and, and seeing how it like should be in the end. I think that's a very nice way of creating. Mm-hmm. So definitely not stupid at all. Well, with, with stupid, I, I mean more... I hope that in two years, uh, I'm not going to be... 
that, that my opinion hasn't changed to to an opinion that like okay this this wasn't meant to be this wasn't meant to end up in in, in a live performance and you basically I, I don't think that I'm the type of producer or artist that is working because there's this duality in in, in creating where um, let's say you have on the one side you have a, a floating points for example who mm -hmm. puts out a record and every millisecond is placed at exact right uh, point in time you know and then you have a, a fella Kuti record where after uh, 32 bars because the drummer maybe like the example that you just said because the drummer kind of like has a hiccup mm -hmm. you know the whole band like slows down for a second and there's this you know uh, but this is this is the, this is the track that is pressed on vinyl and this is a track that I play you know what I mean mm -hmm. so there's this duality between a perfectly uh, you know perfect end result and this uh, life energy this this realism uh, uh, you know the the fact that this this song is is is, is, is an image of, of this point in time i just i just don't hope that in two years time i i because now I'm, I'm 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 telling myself okay what you want to do basically is bring this song and, and bring it you know every weekend somewhere else in a different environment with a different crowd and if a crowd you know similarly to your drummer having a playing it a bit differently you know if a certain member of the crowd decides to shout at a certain time okay then I, maybe i let the bar run a little longer you see what i mean mm -hmm. as, as 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 a contrast to having a, a completely finished pro product and one end result that is just produced put out and that everybody plays and then this is the exact you know, replica of that of that product that is being played. I just don't hope that in two years' time I'm gonna say, oh, actually, I did want to finish those songs as a, as an end result. You know, because then it would be a lot of work. Not for nothing, basically. I'll have fun anyway. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm basically what I'm saying is that I'm I'm curious how it will how I will feel about my 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 vision on my music in 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 yeah in, in the next years. Yeah, yeah very I think, curious. I think it will it will definitely change either way. Um, it might happen that in two years you're like, okay, now I want to put like versions out of what i did mm -hmm. and then what you end up playing is still different than the versions that everyone else is playing mm -hmm. and that might be the reason why people want to come see you play them mm -hmm. um which is what i feel is what good music should be like is that if if you hear something on a record and you go to a show mm -hmm. or you go to a concert or, or a dj set or whatever you don't want to hear that record some people do but i i don't and i don't think you do either that you don't want to hear it bar for bar the mm -hmm. way it is on the record mm -hmm. the same production mm -hmm. and even within electronic music i feel there's so many options of having it like slightly different mm -hmm. when you play it and that is like i think for a crowd that is the su super exciting uh threshold of, of where we are at um i feel as well that a lot of people want to go back to that area era of of, of fella kuti production mm -hmm. where um you don't exactly know oh that's not like i can't beat match it quite well because it's not quantized the way that mm -hmm. a floating points record definitely is super uh surgically quantized mm -hmm. um but it's an interesting uh, point in time to be at to have that freedom i think so mm -hmm. i'm very interested in seeing where you will end up in two mm -hmm. years time yeah i, I don't want to say that it need, needs to be the one or the other mm -hmm. i think it's a balance uh, but when i look at my record collection and, and the, the records that i play the most then i so many times without knowing it i connect so strongly with the records where you you clearly hear someone doing something at that point in time when mm. when the track was recorded rather than records that are very pre pre how do you say like premeditated you know like that are you know where, where the take was done a hundred times until it was completely perfect and you lost the the the, the yeah the realness and the mistake you know uh, 
automatically I always feel much more connected where where the singer makes a mistake or it's a bit off or the timing is a bit off and then it's like oh yeah this there's some there was something something happened there uh, yeah exactly i mean there's so much that goes on in a performer at that point in time i mean i, I think you definitely know as well that if you're on a stage anything could have happened mm -hmm. on the way there uh, there might have been something while you were in the car that mm -hmm. happened that influenced the way you thought the mm -hmm. way that you were on stage or at that certain time the the crowd might not have been as reactive and, and mm -hmm. all of that changes the way you are and that's why i also think live albums are such a an interesting thing and, and i feel that i hope that i hear more of them now because i don't i feel that that's something that's gotten lost a bit as well well i'm gonna tell you why because um i i completely understand what you mean and the point in time where it all changed i think and this is not me saying uh, telling this i think that i read this in a i think it was a greg wilson interview i'm not sure but um, I think it's true. Uh, the, the the point where it all changed uh, because you 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 were talking about a band performing on a stage because it was but it was equally true in a, in a, in a studio mm -hmm. when you were a session musician and 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 studio time was super expensive in the seventies in the sixties seventies early eighties studio time was expensive you know you had a you had a you had a day or two days to to record a song or two or two songs you know then you needed to step in as a session musician and just do the solo play the part while now i mean and this is in the in the in the, in the time of recording on tape mm -hmm. and you couldn't just do the same take over and over again to perfection you couldn't just type in the midi notes and say okay i want this note there i want this note there you know like like this is this is coming back to the floating points fortet style of producing you know this wasn't possible then but i think then we lost a lot of realness in in the sense that it wasn't even necessary anymore to be the best session musician it wasn't even necessary more to be the best singer or the session musician you could just do your take over and over and over again digitally and I think that's where that's the point in time we lost a lot of that live feel that you're talking about because mm. because then you also had to capture the mistakes that the kept the mistakes were captured because you couldn't just cut them out you couldn't do the I mean they were overdubs at a certain point in time but yeah if, if you if you if you would follow the music from the 60s until now and you you, you completely notice it. if you hear a song on the radio now no way there's going to be a millisecond place in in in, in, in a, on a place where it shouldn't be you know everything is you know put perfectly in perfection and i'm 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 connecting with this a lot less than mm. those you know 70s and 80s records where you know the, the musicians were playing the song point yeah. i feel like a lot of that especially in electronic music is is very true um but there's a lot of um more diy approach in different genres that i feel are more uh taken to that aesthetic like i think in hip-hop for example um there's certain rappers beat makers that make stuff and and like longer sessions now and then cut it down and have like mistakes or like background mm -hmm. noise and stuff and mm -hmm. leave it in and it works so well mm -hmm. to like fill that recording i think like uh jpeg mafia has stuff like that where he he has like a song and he makes like 15 to 20 minute versions and mm -hmm. then starts cutting in it and that like rearranges it and that's the song that he puts in but then there's like people talking in the back of the mm -hmm. studio that you still hear on the, on the tape and it mm -hmm. just it makes so much sense because it captures mm -hmm. what happens in that room at the time and he just leaves it that, the way it is um, and I, I feel that that's a lack of what happens in electronic music uh, a lot is mm -hmm. that that doesn't happen because people totally. want perfect clear radio mm -hmm. precision or club precision it totally. needs to blast in fabric or it's not mm -hmm. if it's no, no, no I, totally. I can't have the snare be off center it needs to be mm -hmm. there 
which is a shame because sometimes leaving the snare a little bit off center might be what that track needs to be mm-hmm. just that little bit more special mm-hmm. yeah totally i mean uh, if, you, if you listen to the early i mean the earliest electronic music uh, it's hard to define of course but if you listen you listen at people using those first roland machines uh, the, the three or three every day uh, all those machines for the first time it was it was their hands tweaking the buttons that 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 made that made the song often you know the, the, these these acid lines that are just tweaked and and, and manual like you just hear them you, you can just see them visualize them in the studio working the machine you know and then fast forward until today if you put a three or three plug in in, in ableton and you start drawing midi notes and 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 you can tweak a lot and a lot but you're you, it's very hard to capture uh, you know a, a personal expression mm-hmm. by 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 clicking uh, by clicking <laughs> Um, no, I fully agree. And I think that music should return more. I mean, I think it's very good that we have all this technology that allows us to record and, and re-record and, and be as precise as it can be. I think that's a very, um, it has pushed a lot of music into new realm and, and a lot of new sound that wouldn't exist without mm-hmm. the technology that we have. Um, but I think it's very interesting in the way that you see a lot of people go back to the humanism and a lot of the music mm-hmm. and how that has been lost and so i'm very curious to see what will happen in the next i don't know five to ten years in that regard will people stray away from that clinical clean thing or will it just offshoot into people doing less of that and, and other people going even crazier and even mm-hmm. more precise only time will tell but i think you should do that live set and i <laughs> will definitely check it out because i'm very very curious cool. about it um i think we're nearing the end of the the conversation so i just off the bat i want to say thank you uh it's been very interesting i learned a lot about dogs and music (laughs) and and a lot of things that yeah so you're a very nice person to talk to thank you very much no thanks for your invite it was a pleasure thank you Uh, i have one one last question that we always end our episode off with um and that is uh a food related one i don't know if you're big on food i am nice so this will hit right home um if you could describe your musical taste or your DJ sets or anything like music related as a dish or a course of dishes, what would that be? That's a good question. It's hard to just uh, just reply that or reply to that it's okay. straight away. I mean, from I li- from I like what I, from what I gather, like the way a lot of interests, mm-hmm. so I feel like it would be a very broad. I mean, I, I, I'm not like an Asian dish where, you know, you, you put something in your mou- mouth and it's like instantly all the flavors, you know, I, yeah. I, I, I like to think of my DJ sets as a bit more um, slow, maybe, and like, uh, you know, building up to something. So, I mean, I, I guess, I mean, maybe it's a, it's a cliche, but I guess the, the, the Stouveret, the, 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 the Flemish stew with beer, is a good example because you, you 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 work on it for a long time and then you can you know you put in the flavors left and right uh, where you where you want you know you leave it a long time and then at the end when you can eat it with a good glass of beer and and, uh, and some fries then you get the you know the, the it goes crescendo and the, the whole experience of cooking a Flemish too is maybe kind of similar like like one of my DJs I like to I like to start slow you know yeah. and then you know slow BPM slow vibe and then build it up feel out and then you know go go feel the the you know the the, the tension in the crowd which would be maybe in a, 
uh, tasting the stew after an hour and see what it needs, you know, mm. and then maybe putting something unexpected, you know, like a chili or uh, something like this in, in, in a stove that maybe, you know, a lot of people wouldn't, wouldn't expect right away. And then at the end, you can just serve it and everybody can have a, Amazing. Nice, uh, I think you're the first <laughs> guest to introduce the actual cooking process into that thing, and which I think is amazing. Um, that's a very because very it good also idea. takes three four hours to yeah. cook this too. So <laughs> it's just very similar. Right? It's it's more about the entire process. Yeah, exactly. No, I I think that's a very good answer. Mm. I think uh, from getting to you know, to know you over this last hour, that uh, feels very applicable to what you do. <laughs> Did anyone else say stew Flemish too? Uh, no, uh, no. We've had uh, we've had uh, a lot of different things, but not Belgian stew. I don't. I think that's the first Belgian dish. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Well, it's it's been a, it's been a lot of different things, but so you yeah. have to move away from Belgium to appreciate true Belgian culture. I think so too. Maybe, and that that made you come back. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, we will go and check out your DJ set later with cool. uh, Kong, our previous guest as well, which is nice. And uh, yeah, if you have anything else you want to say or share. Uh, no, thank you guys for inviting. And uh, yeah, I'll see you on a dance floor in a bit for some Belgium stew cooking. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Thank you.